welcome you as we gather here at Spring Hill United Methodist Church for this Passion and Palm Sunday celebration. This morning, once again, we find ourselves in this unique position of sharing the message uh, as it's recorded. We are looking forward to some possibilities for Easter next Sunday. Uh, we'll send out an announcement for that this coming week. Uh, we have some opportunities to do it in different ways. Um, today, we're going to look at the passion side of this Sunday, which means the side that focuses upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us first open with a prayer. Dear Lord, as we gather here, we come in a time of great suffering in our land around the world. We come in a troubling time, but we know that your grace is sufficient, your love is merciful, your hope is more, and Lord, we pray for all of these things in this time. But we also come knowing the information that we are receiving is perplexing and we do not understand it but lord you see through all things and you know all things and you understand all things help us in your infinite wisdom and mercy and grace to look past this moment and see the grace that is shining like the sun upon us lord as we gather here we pray for the needs in our community the needs of spring hill for the people of Spring Hill, the families, be with each and every one. Touch and give your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 118 on page 839 in our hymnal. It's a responsive psalm, but I will read it. The Lord is my strength and my power. The Lord has become my salvation. There are joyous songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does violently. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does violently. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sorely, but has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I... Thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, who has given us light. Lead the festive procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, who is good, for God's steadfast love endures forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
As we gather here today, this would be a Sunday that usually we would have the young people bringing in the palms. Today, I encourage you, where you are in your homes, to have that sense of celebration, knowing that Christ is showing compassion upon us, and he is entering into the holy city on our behalf, for his mercy and grace is forever. His mercy and grace surpasseth all understanding. We're going to focus on a question. I got a phone call this past week, and someone in the church, they asked me, why do people suffer? Now, I've studied that question in this time that we are at, and as a pastor, as a studier of the gospel, it is a question that God has answered. And we find that in the story of what's called the Passion of Christ, which means his crucifixion. And to understand this helps us to understand our suffering, our troubles. In the scripture in Matthew, the 27th chapter, the 11th verse, I'll take parts of the scripture as we go through the point of him on the cross. It starts out with Jesus. Now Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, as that circumstance, that scene unfolded, there was another prisoner. His name was Barabbas. And Pilate offers either Jesus or Barabbas. We cannot understand that Pilate was wanting Jesus to be free even though he did not find him personally to be guilty, but he knew he had to do what he had to do as governor. And he offered, and of course the crowd wanted the blood of Jesus. And the scene continues to unfold as they stripped him in the 28th verse and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted some thorns into a crown. They put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him. They took a reed and they struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify. And it tells another story of Cyrene, a man named Simon, who was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus to the place called Gogotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him in the 37th verse of the 27th chapter, they divided his clothes among themselves and cast lots, and they sat down there and kept watch over him. And above his head, they put a sign that says, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two other bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those that passed by deriled him, shaking their heads and saying, You who could destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. And the bandit who was crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. 
in this gospel, we hear the story as it unfolds. And about three o'clock that day, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they thought perhaps that he was calling for Elijah, not realizing he's speaking straight to his Father in heaven at this moment of greatest need. And then in the 50th verse, he cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. And at the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and after his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. And the centurion who was with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were terrified, and he said, Truly this man was God's son, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. In seminary, my New Testament professor, Archie Nations, Dr. Archie Nations, was mesmerized. He spoke often of this centurion who spoke these words, truly this man was God's son. At the time, I did not understand the importance of why he kept focusing on this key scripture and the passion of Jesus. And the reason that he did, I have come to realize is that this centurion is an eyewitness of the events that took place. When I was in high school at Harness Central, I was an editor on the paper of the poetry section. And I learned through my work with the newspaper and being taught that to be a newspaper reporter, which I had hoped to be, I had envisioned myself going to Carolina, going to journalism school and traveling the world and writing news stories. I realized that in news, <clears throat> news is about the who and the what, the when and the where. News does not deal with why because the who, what, when, and where are objective. And the why is subjective, means personal interpretation. Just a few years back, our news, all the major networks and all the major papers focused on the who, what, when, and where and seldom dealt with the why. They seldom dealt with uh, this interpretation, but now our news is very subjective. So what does this tell us? This tells us in this great event that took place in the 27th uh, chapter of Matthew, of how we can deal with suffering by looking at the Son of Man and His suffering. And as Matthew wrote this, he just dealt with the facts. He states the who. Now Jesus stood before the governor. The who in the story is Jesus. Jesus is the subject of this story. The what. He is being tried by the religious courts and also the secular court, the court of Rome through Pilate, of being a heretic, of claiming to be a king which would supplant the emperor of Rome. So uh, the what is that he is being accused of breaking the law, the law of God and the law of man. The, uh, the where is he's in Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of peace, the city where God 
uh, has anointed it as a holy place, a place where the temple is to be built. And, and there it was when Jesus was there in that time, which leads us to the when. This happened around 30 A.D. Some say 33, but we think Christ was born like 3 B.C., 2 B.C., and so it means he was 33, so it would be around 30 A.D., the when. And we know the governor because we have the historical record of him being the governor of that part of the world. We know the name of the high priest, so we know the when pretty much down to the time period. So we have the who and the what and the when and the where is, of course, Jerusalem, the holy city. And we look at these facts and what took place. Well, he was crucified. There have been a lot of people crucified. Rome used to crucify entire villages when they broke the laws of Rome. They lined the roads. He was crucified. There have been lots of people executed over the years. So what is this execution? What is this death doing that all these other deaths have not done? What took place there? So we have to look at the details. We see them mocking Jesus, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and putting a robe on him and pretending and insulting him and, and saying bad things about him. We see him being taken to the cross and there at the place of the skull. He is being uh, crucified there with thieves, with commoners outside the gates of the city. We see the facts of what's taking place here of an event that took place many years ago. And see, the answer is so obvious about the why. The answer why we won't look at it this Sunday because we're going to just look at the facts. The man died. He was crucified. But next Sunday makes all the difference. For without next Sunday, he would just be a prophet and a good man, perhaps in the history books. But next Sunday is the why. And the why is that he is the Son of God. The why is that our God sent his Son, his only Son, to come and to die for us, to suffer for us, to defeat sin for us, and ultimately to defeat death for <clears throat> us. In fact, they said that, and when they mocked him, they said, you who would destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. And the chief priest said he saved others. He cannot save himself. And they didn't realize, they didn't see, they couldn't see. They were blind to see, blind by sin, blind by anger, blind by pain, blind by suffering, blind by hopelessness. They could not see that he was saving all. He is the king of Israel. And he didn't need to come down from the cross. He needed to come up from the grave. He didn't need to come down from the cross. He needed to come up from the grave. For only by coming up does He retrieve us from our grave and resurrect us. In fact, even at that moment, the Scriptures here in the Gospels say that after He died, that the dead came out of the graves. <laughs> A miraculous event that took place that these eyewitnesses saw. So this wasn't just another death. This was the death to end all deaths. 
This is the conquering death of the Son of God, which is proven by Easter. Proven by Easter. So let's look at this one key verse that goes back to the original question, why do people have to suffer? In the 27th chapter, in the 46th verse, about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment, even though he had healed all the people, he had walked upon the water, he had calmed the storms, he had raised even the dead. It was at this moment that the Son of God truly understood our circumstance. He understood our situation. Like a reporter, we can look at it and say, this is the facts, just the facts, that here is this man who has done all these things, and even he cries out, why have you forsaken me? Theologians have debated this. They tried to understand this. In fact, it is truly, truly a moment that it is perplexing. God who knows not only the past and the present, but also the future. God who knows the tomb will be empty. Why is it at that moment he cries out, why have you forsaken me? And there we learn the answer. The answer is found in just the facts. And now I know why Dr. Archie Nations referred to the 54th verse. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake, facts. And what took place, facts. They were terrified, fear. But then he said, truly, this man was God's son. The fact. Because he knew of all the people he had crucified, and that was his job, this man was different. Because he died to live. He didn't live to die. He died so we can live, so we don't have to live to die. And I'll just say it. If a person lives their life and thinks all they have is the journey they walk upon this earth, they are being more to be pitied than any who have ever walked this earth. They're like the thief upon the cross, lost, living to die. But understand, even death will not release the sin. Death will not release the sorrow. Death will not release the sadness of living. But only faith will release tomorrow. That is the passion of Jesus the Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God bless you from Spring Hill United Methodist Church.